Hello, and welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I don't think I can ever listen to Hurdy Gurdy Gurdy Man ever again. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Zodiac, which released in 2007, based on the book by Robert Graysmith, written by James Vanderbilt, and directed by David Fincher. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows four main characters who are trying to stop the infamous Zodiac killings of San Francisco 1970. We follow Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Edwards as they try to correlate all their evidence together and try to catch the killer before he strikes again. So apparently originally this film was going to be uh, a Sony Pictures uh, film, <laughs> uh, but Sony weren't very happy with the length of the script. Yeah, of, uh, of course, the script was indicating that the film would be nearly three hours long, yeah. and Sony didn't want to spend that much money on a talky, talky movie. And uh, and so they kind of passed up on it. Uh, and almost every other studio was also in agreement with Sony Pictures. And it was Warner Brothers and Paramount Pictures that went, how about we split the bill between two film companies yeah. and uh, then we can have the money to give Fincher to, to make this project. And uh, Fincher himself said he, you know, he was very excited when he got the script, uh, even though when, you know, the, the studio that sent him the script were like, he's already done seven. We don't know if he's really going to want to do another film like this. Mm. Uh, but once Fincher realized uh, which cast members were also interested in working with him on the script, he knew that he had something good here. Now, I straight away, I look at, uh, you know, the, the original source material was, you know, Grayson. He was actually lived in the, you know, the events. He's, uh, you know, the main character in the film. Yeah. But obviously taking the real book and then having James Vanderbilt do the screenplay, that 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 there, you know, when you look back at it and go, that this is the same guy that wrote The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And you're just like, I... not, not the best, but somehow the screenplay adaptation of the book here with David Fincher's direction yes. and the cast yes. involved yes. is actually really, really good. Yeah. I I didn't I didn't realize that I didn't realize the uh, screenwriter was the same guy who did Amazing Spider-Man one and two and those films aren't great but as long as you follow the source material as closely as you can you can kind of make something and like you said yeah with David Fincher's direction you know how did I forget that he did seven while I was watching Zodiac like I must have been drunk but he already knows how to film. A serial killer movie without the serial killer there you know we are literally just following the characters the people investigating it and like when Zodiac first came out I remember I was like yeah I'll get around to watching it you know I I like David Fincher I, I think I always have um, you know but I'm not like I'm not gonna just jump on the bandwagon as soon as he drops a new movie um, the Zodiac killer like, I know a lot of people get really obsessed with watching serial killers and documentaries and understanding the True mind crime. of somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, take it from somebody who knows when you look at insanity, it's not really that great. Okay. It's just somebody going around killing people. It's still fascinating. It's I, the human psychology. It's the, it, I, it's, it is fascinating. I get that. And that's, that's what makes this movie work because... You have maybe a lot of people on board with the same kind of passion to say, like, look, we need to tell this story. And when you look at the lineup, I mean, like we said, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, 
Mark Ruffalo, Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Edwards. You know, you get Brian Cox turning up at one point. I was even really, really happy to see my boy James LaGrosse turn yes, up. Yes, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah, there he is. Uh, don't forget uh, our boy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Uh, Casey. Yep, Elias Coteus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Casey Jones is there. And that really, really works. But, you, you know, this movie follows the zodiac killer and we start you know was it july 4th 1969 you know young girl goes and picks up her boyfriend or her friend or whatever this relationship is they drive out to lover's lane you know and go to hang out to kiss and stuff i just want to pull it back though i mean just like fincher knows how to open a movie and oh, open yeah. it really really strong and you know just a the the stead the steady uh, shot as it pans past all the buildings with the fireworks going off oh, in the background. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like it it's so impressive, a technical feat. And then when you find out behind the scenes, like that's not a real car that they're in driving by. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just a door frame yeah, with yeah. the window and it's actually on a dolly on a track going yeah. going past. And I'm just like, you know, like when you take down the you know the the surroundings of how, how to make the film, but then with what you're left with on the screen. Yeah. And it's so meticulous and that that is you know David Fincher's style. It, it is yeah. having a style over with something that doesn't necessarily need it, but it, it's still there. And and it's crazy that you feel that at first you could be the killer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because there are so many almost POV shots because yeah. we don't get to see the killer that much. Yeah. Uh, it it does very much borrow from the horror genre. Uh, and and that is why I think some of the killings and the setups in this film rival that of most horror movies. That's why Alien 3 is still really good, people, okay? Um, and she picks up her boyfriend and they go out to Lover's Lane and they, they're left alone. And you see the, this car pull up, you know? And it, like you said, Fincher just makes you feel awkward, makes you feel uncomfortable. And, and I was reading up on the notes and he grew up in this time. Yeah. You know, and he he remembers his dad saying to him, look, there's a serial killer supposedly going around and he's going to shoot a bunch of kids. So Fincher is just using his own personal experience of like, what were people wearing back then? What were they listening to? What were they doing? Where would they have gone? Well, that's it. That This film has been meticulously very well researched. Mm. The film company were given complete access to police records, Ooh. information. They got to, you know, the, the real life um, cops or survivors of the Zodiac were interviewed in questions and were on set so that the, the actors could talk to the real people involved. Yeah. And uh, Mark Ruffalo said of uh, David Toskey that, you know, um, how well he could remember all the details and facts of the case from like 1969 yeah. and was and was able to share all of this with him so that he could learn to develop his character. Yeah. Um, and so all of the details from the killings as well uh, Fincher decided that he would only depict the killings in the film that had survivors that could give 100% details as to how things happened. So yeah. if there was killings in the film that nobody survived, it wouldn't be shown in the film because it couldn't be accurately replicated for it. Yeah. And I think that adds an extra element to this scene that we're, we're just about to get to. Yeah, I mean, we're still on the opening sequence of, of the guy getting out of the car, walking up, flashing his flashlight in the eyes of the teens. They think it's a cop, 
You know, that they're, you know, obviously easily mistaken. Well, there is a point where he turns to her and he says something and she's like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about she, it. He tells her to get her license out because he thinks it's a cop. And yeah. she's been acting up ever since the car's driven past that she may know... The car. who, Yeah, the car or who the person is in the car. And then you just see the shots ring out, you know, you, you the, the, the way the camera is situated so that the figure is shadowed and you can see the gun and you can make out, it's like, like you said, it's like you're going from the eyewitness report. This is what the guy saw in the car before he got nailed like six or seven times by bullets. And then when you see the police bike pull up, and the guy is still slumped against the car, just kind of clinging on to life. It's like, shit, you know, we're in, we're in people. I also killed those kids last year. Good. Bye. You know, four weeks later, you jump to San Francisco. Robert Graysmith, Jake Gyllenhaal, playing this dad character, like, He's a Boy Scout, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. This is the 1970s, the you know, era of free love and acid and all that stuff. But he's focused on doing a good job for his family. Yeah. I also think this is a, a, a fantastic second opening into the film. Yeah. You know, when we uh, we see the, the cityscape uh, as the camera as the camera rolls in. Yeah. There's a highway there, which obviously doesn't exist anymore because it collapsed, in a, I think, in an earthquake yeah. or something. Uh, and, and, you know, again, just the visual presentation of the film is so stylized and so, so well put together. And there are so many instances in this film where you wouldn't even be aware that it is a matte painting yeah, or well, that there's CGI being used to touch up and remove satellites from buildings. Yeah, there and... was there was like that opening shot where it goes over the city of San Francisco. I was sat there going, eh, "Uncanny Valley." I'm I'm kind of seeing things, but now you're saying that things were there that aren't there anymore, and that yeah. they had to put them back. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. Makes now sense. there are there are a few shots uh, in in the film. Like I mean, t towards the end of the film, there's the shot of the Golden Gate Bridge with the camera on top of it. Yes, and I'm just like, it's absolutely hideous. <laughs> like this is the one shot in the whole film that should be removed. Um, and uh, and Fincher said he didn't actually have any control over that because uh, yeah. the uh, when they were putting the poster together and the advertising for the film, they used the the bridge. Right. So right. They were like, well, there's no shot of the bridge in the film, we need so to throw they quickly there. threw one in there last yeah. minute, and I'm like. You can bloody tell because it is an eyesore compared to the rest of the film. Yeah. Um, and there's only a few other shots where there's a couple where Toski's in the street. And uh, because they didn't have access to the real location, uh, sometimes they, you know, they, they just put a big green screen up and you can sometimes tell. Yeah. But uh, it, it it's it's. For it's it's very seamless, but that, you can also tell. That's if you're really yes. looking, yeah, you know. Yeah. And if this is first time viewing, you know, you're 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 in it to, with the investigation. Yeah. I, now, again, sorry, just to go back to yeah. that intro is the the camera work as it comes in. You know, we literally follow like the the mailman delivery going yes. all the way through the building, yeah, all the way up to the office where the letter gets handed over. And of course, we know that this is going to be the first of a series of letters that will get handed out. Yeah, and you, you get the newspaper's, you know, initial reluctance of trying to put this letter out, you know, what do they do, who do they contact, you know, they're, they're also, they want to make sure that the public are safe, but at the same time, they don't want to give the guy publicity, and Robert Downey Jr. was just excellent as Paul Avery, you know, <laughs> if you need somebody to play uh, an alcoholic 
and possible drug addict, you go to Robert Downey Jr. He's a pro, right? <laughs> he, is a, he is a pro. Because <laughs> according to uh, most, uh, he was literally just playing himself. <laughs> now, Robert Downey Jr. did say to Fincher, like, what is this guy's motivation? Who is this person? Like, give me something to work with about who this person is. And uh, because they didn't, you know, because at, when they were making the film, yeah. the real Avery had already passed away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this film, despite it being very, very accurate with the case files, with the murder scenes, with the investigation, with all of the facts yeah. relating to the case, this Avery character is a complete fictionalized version of the real life Avery. Because in real life... Avery and Graysmith, they, they were not friends. They, they never hung out. Right, yeah. Uh, and so Fincher and, you know, when they were putting the script together, they were like, you know, we need to have these guys be friends or at least be closer together. So we're yes. going gonna, gonna to dramatize it a little bit. Um, and that's what helped to then give uh, give Robert Downey Jr. a little bit more playroom with this character, knowing that he was working with, with Graysmith. Yeah, because he, he, he picks up on the info first of, you know, what he's getting from the Zodiac. You know, Avery is like a real in-depth reporter. He's like the fucking lowest lane, I suppose, of the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, but, you know, he's 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 90% drunk all the time. And so you need Graysmith, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, to look at the codes and break the codes. And I, like, it, I haven't seen it for a very long time, but it kind of made me want to watch All the President's Men with Robert uh, Redford and Dustin Hoffman, where they're investigating Watergate, and you just have these two reporters just investigating. Because when you then balance it with with Dave Toschke and uh, Bill Armstrong, the two lead detectives, Anthony Edwards and Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo, I love because of Hulk. I mean, it's just a, it's just a given. I'm sorry. Just, <laughs> he was the Hulk. He gets a pie. With Anthony Edwards, man, this is goose. I watched a lot of ER. You know, Anthony Edwards always played a character that I always wanted to be my buddy. Well, that's what David Fincher said was like, he's good friends with this actor. And so he's like, he, he said this is one of the nicest people he's ever met in his yeah, entire life. Yeah. And it just comes across in every role that he plays. Yeah. <laughs> and it's same when he's working with Toshi, because the film is broken up a lot of times. And I, I like... I don't know if that might be jarring for some people, but if you understand the case file itself, you know, it's not like the Zodiac Killer went and killed a, a person every night of every single day, you know, and then wrote a letter and kept the police going. It would literally be a couple of weeks, kill, letter, couple of weeks, letter, maybe something else, you know. And so that's what we find ourselves doing is jumping with the four main leads as a new letter comes out. Yeah. Or a new murder happens, you know, and, and like Gary said, if we're going from Fincher's kind of overall research into this movie, I think it really, really works because, you know, we, we have to get from 1969 to what, 1981 at one point? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, transitions or a lot of time jumps in the film. Now, most of them are just bullet pointed, like documentary style, you know, yeah. just date and time at the bottom of the screen. Yet Fincher does employ some very good filmmaking techniques to make those transitions a lot more punchy. Yeah. Um, there's a couple which are almost like time lapse 
ones where we're watching buildings get oh, constructed. Oh, that building shot was amazing. I could just watch that all day. Now, it was taken apparently from uh, from real photos that were taken. The company that had the building built actually wanted, you know, uh, the progression. Nice. So they got, got hold of those photos, touched them up, made it look nice for the film. Um, but there's also some other really good transitions that are almost montages mm. where, you know, we have people walking around uh, the, the newspaper office. We've got lots of Zodiac cryptology on the screen. Yeah. You yeah. know, lots of wipes, lots of fades, lots of transitions. And there's also a really good one much later in the film where the screen goes to black. Oh, and, yes. it, and it's mixed radio broadcasts. Yes. And Fincher said that he wanted to do something like where the sound went from mono to stereo. Yes. You know, to show the evolution of, of, of time passing. And, uh, you know, so utilizing all of those different types of transitions throughout the film, it just makes every era feel fresh as well. Yeah. And it keeps the film from feeling dull. Um, and uh, and also on top of that, you're also watching the transition from the vehicles changing, yeah. the telephones changing, the offices changing, the color of the office changing from the yellow to the blue uh, to show the eras changing, time changing. Yeah, you know, you you could read deeper into it just to show like the office at one point where it was the entire office was dealing with the zodiac compared to later in the film where the color schemes changed. Nobody really cares about it anymore, yeah, it's just and one there's person. just a trace of what was that office left in the back. Background now. Yeah. And so there's lots of stuff that's been just done, like even in the, the mise en scene, like the background stuff yes. is meticulously been thought about and crafted. And that is again down to Fincher, who has said that he is, you know, like uh, uh, like a Kubrick. He sees the shot in his head yeah. and he will shoot it a hundred times if he has to to get it right. And there are some shots in the film that he said he did like 50, 60 takes of it. And he did have a massive falling out with Robert Downey Jr., who told Fincher that you're running this film like a goddamn gulag. And apparently he left jars of his own piss around the set in frustration and protest to Fincher, who just went again, 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 again. And it drove all the actors nuts on the set of this film. Yeah. <laughs> and and in a weird way that works because as the film progresses you really see like the weight start to be put on every single one of them i mean paul avery just gets so bad at one point you know that gray smith is waking him up in the boot of his car in the back of his car you know and it's just like look it's half past 11 in the morning and you're still drunk because you haven't been to sleep and avery you know Avery has put his life on the line by writing a report on the Zodiac Killer, which has highlighted certain things that we kind of think might have been true, but the Zodiac didn't want them to be known, and so he threatens Avery's life. Avery then has to go out of his way to buy himself a gun to protect himself and things like that. You know, we're watching Gray Smith, who goes from, you know, being a single dad to actually going out and having a date, and then that date being involved with the Zodiac investigation four years later they're married they're having kids and that's you know it's like the film breaks into three separate parts you know we have the killers you know story we have the cops investigating it their story and then the reporters and ultimately gray smith obsessing so much over this because over the passage of time people have forgotten you know the killer has stopped killing every now and again you know like a, a copycat might try or somebody might um, attempt to admit that they were the zodiac but the details aren't there exactly it's uh, when you get to the end of the second act and i also agree i feel like it's exactly like three parts yeah um the and, and the middle act 
is, you know, the all the killings have stopped by one. We still get one more at this point, and that is... Uh, and even David Fincher has said that he almost omitted this scene from the film as well because he couldn't... He didn't feel the authenticity of the story right. because it also didn't feel like the Zodiac's M.O., in right. a sense. And that is this, this lady... I've, forgotten her name is picked up by the zodiac yes for a long drive yeah um, and it, it is a you know it's like we don't get to see the zodiac but we hear the voice and it it's the moment when he turns to her and says i'm gonna throw your baby out the window before i kill you yeah you know and it's just like jesus christ like yeah, it's that was um but uh, we don't get to see her throw herself out of the car like she says you know the, the real life story before she's picked up and the Zodiac is driven off. She was taken to the police station and she ID'd the Zodiac by pointing at a picture on the wall saying, that was the guy I was in the car with. Yeah. Um, but it, it just didn't feel right. And it was only it was only after the, the police had reported the story or the news had reported the story that a letter came in from the Zodiac going, oh, that was me. Yeah. And this happened a lot in real life where a killing had happened, no letter, the police publish it, the news publish it. A week later, the Zodiac goes, oh, that was me. Yeah. And, uh, and, and and it gets to a point where the Zodiac's gone, I've killed 37 people. And the police are like, five, mate. We got you for five. Yeah. We, now, this is because the, the real life Zodiac seemed to have a knack for throwing obscurity and and managing to obfuscate himself by 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 claiming that he had been the... The, the perpetrator of these other crimes, yeah. these other murders, when there's maybe he didn't and he was just because nobody came forward, because maybe. the police found nobody. Maybe. That's that's the thing. It's like, maybe. maybe he did do maybe it. He did maybe do he it. didn't. He was and so we smart. We can't prove we, it we, either way. We, we can't, you know. And the film really works that really well because once you get to Gray Smith and Avery looking into the investigation to help, I mean, they're not helping the cops. They become obsessed with it to try to him. Well, that's the thing. I I, I realise that this film is all about obsession. Yes. That's what it felt like to yes. me. Like, the underlying yes. theme is obsession. And it's also about justice and what does justice mean. Yes. Because, like, as we know at the end of the film, justice is not served. In terms of catching the killers, getting the death sentence, getting life in jail, What you know, whatever your version of justice is. Yeah. Like, for me, justice in this film is, 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 is that they're... The characters are justified in their obsession in a way because yeah. they they have a resolution, but it's just not. They know it's not going to hold up in court, and then you know certain things happen that there's nothing left to do with it anyway. But the film does show the three the three main characters and how they've dealt with obsession. Where Avery, we find him, you know, completely boozed up. He's ending uh, up yeah. with a with a with an oxygen tank. You know, he's just, just you know, self-destructive. He's so, he smoked but himself to I will death, also yeah. say that that is this film's interpretation of the character that is yes. not true. Yes. Um, the, you know, uh, Avery did actually go on to do lots of very good things uh, with his career. Um, and, you know, the film, you know, just... It, sh it chose to depict him this way for the storytelling purposes. I, I felt the same way with Grey Smith towards the end. It was like, oh, he's going to write this book. And so now the film is you know, focused on him so much that, you know, because you've been on this journey, you're like, I want him to catch him. I want him to catch him. I want him to catch him. And then you have that part at the end of the movie where they're sat, uh, where, where he's in the store and he sees the, the character playing Arthur Lee. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to just, from the movie's perspective, he just had that look and you got that 
feeling and i'm like yes but i'd already seen him so obsessed like the moment where he was in the uh, prison with clear duval yeah and he's just like tell me it's him tell me it's him and she's like it's not him it's this and you're like man he's He's given up his family, you know, uh, he's given up his, his children, uh, all just so that he can do this. Toshki was on the same path. Yeah. But he was held back by all the red tape of the, the department that they can't just arrest this guy on a hunch. Yeah, but it was also the fact that it, it you know, it partly destroyed his career, his life, you know, because like, it was yeah, everything yeah. was this case and it, because it was so public and because it was quite famous, yeah. you know, there was the, the scene where, uh, where Dirty Harry is uh, is, released, is released and it yeah. and it's directly inspired by 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 Toski and the Zodiac case and you know there's that that horrible sequence I mean, it's a great sequence where the, all the police are watching Dirty Harry and they're all looking at each other like, like the fuck is this <laughs> yeah well, like I wish I could just get out my revolver <laughs> and just go and shoot the bad guy case closed it's like movies it's not like that it's, not it's like this is the reality and, and yeah and you're like the real Graysmith when he was sent the screenplay for the film his note back to Fincher was my god no wonder my wife divorced me <laughs> it's like you know it's like it's like it, it's like the naivety or the innocence of the characters that are wrapped up in the obsession can't even see it themselves, you know, and and that is one thing that this film will often do, especially if you're like me and you love true crime stuff. You'll see your own obsessive yes. nature reflected in the characters trying to get to the bottom of this case. And when this film is over, you're still not done with the Zodiac story because there are endless documentaries and stories it and interviews. It has to end. It has to end. It does, but it's still such a fascinating story, and because it's still unsolved. And, and and the amazing thing is, is like this film came out two thousand and seven. Yeah, yeah. Last year, two years ago, two thousand twenty, two thousand twenty one. Yeah. One of the Zodiac's ciphers was finally broken only recently, and uh, and so like you know, and when the film got released, and when that that uh, cryptic that cryptic cipher was was broken, yeah, yeah. The case was reopened again and then again, and it's still not gone anywhere. Yeah, and we still haven't revealed the identity of the real Zodiac, and there's still people coming out today going, "Yeah, it was my dad. Actually, it was my teacher. Actually, it was my my, my babysitter. No, actually, it? it was it was my neighbor's dog. Could, could have been multiple. <laughs> there could have been copycats. There could have been loads of people. It was the DNA, up. the forensics. Nothing, nothing matches, and that all goes back to the Zodiac being able to obscure himself, obfuscate himself with claiming other <sighs> or did he that's 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 what i got from the, at the end of this movie like i i started to overthink you know and when you start to try to think like how they think that's when you know you've kind of gone too far because you know you you, you sometimes start to sympathize and the way that the movie also breaks down you know arthur lee's background you know about his, his his military record, the size of his boots, the school that he worked in. You know the the things that he did and how he acted. Like, as fascinating as I always find it, most of the time these people are just basement dwellers. You know, with some serious issues, and they lash out to the, all these innocent innocent victims that they come across. But luckily, you have the people like Graysmith and Toshki who will obsess to find these people and stop them from doing anything more, you know, and then that's what really is the beauty when you come and look at it with the movie that Fincher 
got that. Yeah. And and amazing as well. I like you could see so many similarities between Zodiac and Seven, and yet Seven was out fourteen years before, and yet there are like I said, so many similarities. The obsession, the trying to figure out what is the motive, why is this guy doing it, how many other things is he doing, you know. By the by the time I got to the end of Zodiac, I was like, yeah, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I I don't need to. I personally don't need to understand anymore. He, I understand kind of why they do it, and I understand why they needed to be stopped. They may not have found the guy. I believe they did, and I believe that he died as the movie dictates. Well, it's it. Gray, Gray Smith calls Tosky, doesn't he? And they have that... I mean, they have a wonderful relationship throughout the film. Yeah, where, yeah. I mean, they don't meet each other really for quite some time. But the way that he keeps hounding Tosky, calling him at his home, <laughs> turning up at his office, just like, I want this information. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a reporter, but yeah. I'm trying to write this book. So I need, you know, and the way that they all befriend him. Like, there's that amazing thing where he turns up at the other police station and the cop <laughs> asks him, he's like, do you smoke? And he was like once yeah, in, in college, in college. <laughs> like just like he's so innocent like in the moment he is questioned by authority he can't help but give the truth yeah you yeah. know and so he kind of like they kind of just take him in but it's like yeah come on you can do the some research. of those sequences were just amazing i love that bit where toski's saying to graysmith like you know obviously i can't give you any information on an open case and obviously i can't tell you to go and see this guy at this location and thanks for breakfast see you later and you're like that's the, that's the cop way. That's the. Cop I also way of love the fact that like it's one of my favorite scenes actually is that throughout the entire film, Tosky is asking for sandwiches, for chips, <laughs> for for animal crackers. He's asking for food all the way through, yeah. and it's only at the very end when he's at the conversation with Graysmith that he actually pays for the food. <laughs> yeah. he actually pays for the food. I'm like, that is the ending. You know, it's like he's he's finally paid. You know, paid back. Yeah, because that that is it. They they in their heads they've wrapped it up. They just know it's circumstantial and it won't hold up, hold up in court. But if this guy can find something but on his own for the two of them and, and peace of mind, yeah. they they believe they they got the guy, and uh, and of course. You know, th this film is based off of Graysmith's book. This is Graysmith's character. Graysmith believes it was Arthur, Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah, yeah. So all it the evidence Arthur. in film is going to point towards Arthur. it, despite there being other other possible possible suspects. Like I said, more than 2,000 of them. Oh, yeah. And the film does, just before, you know, even though we've talked about the end, the film, like, after, like, two hours, two hours, 20 minutes, throws in another red herring. Yes. And, and we follow Graysmith <laughs> to this other location, and and again, this is all like a fantastic horror movie where he suspects it might be this guy. This guy's like, I've got a creepy basement. Yeah, you like come down. Most houses in this country don't have basements, but I'll follow you down. You know, it's like, oh, that wasn't Arthur Lee's handwriting. That's my handwriting. It's yeah. like, oh shit, I'm in the basement with a killer. You know, in the panic as he's trying to run out, I'm like. <laughs> You could almost remove that scene entirely yes. from the film, but at the same time, it does also show... It shows Graysmith's character some more. It is more history. It does also show that there there were many other possibilities. It's funny you say that, because in my eyes, you could remove that title card at the beginning um, that says this is based on actual events, and this would still be an amazing detective fictional story about some guys trying to stop a serial killer. Yeah. The fact that it is based on actual events just kind of hammers at home for me even more that shit, this fucking shit happened. This guy went out of his way to kill people. You know, when we see those two people get tied up at the lake and get repeatedly stabbed in the back, that happened. 
You know, when when I like we said, it's from Graysmith's point of view. Maybe he did. Maybe he might have made up the the whole house incident. But the fact that he may have gone there and may have thought that this guy was a killer, most of the most of the citizens of San Francisco at that time probably thought their neighbor was the killer. Who the hell Zodiac could be anywhere? And ultimately, like oh well, I mean it will be another favorite one of my favorite scenes. But ultimately, there was a sequence where um, Avery goes to a police station and gets some information and then Toshki turns up with his buddies and the sheriff at the station says yeah I gave it to the reporter why'd you give it to the reporter well because he asked for it it's been case closed blah 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 we're following all these reasons and then when they step outside uh Robert Downey Jr and Mark Ruffalo have this fucking telling off in the middle of the street and it made me laugh because I'm like Stark and Banner so yeah, yeah. This, this, this is where this is gonna stem from um but ultimately, yeah, you know, once they, once Graysmith has got all of the information together, like we said, we've started in 69, we've ended in, I think it was 91, where James LaGrosse, you know, ha, has gone to this airport and the, the, the guy who survived the shooting at the beginning is shown some photos. And he points out Arthur Lee. You know, so like where people could say, well, it's still circumstantial. The guy who was shot pointed out the face 20 but, years. But it was so long later, too long that you, you can't, you possibly, I can't say personally, but you may possibly never forget the face of the person who attempts to kill you, you know, and he points out this face and it comes up with a title card, to, you know, telling us, look, you know, Paul Avery died at this 2000, time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Toshki, he, he, you know, he still had a good career, but then he obviously stepped down from the force. His, his, his partner, Bill Armstrong, he'd stepped down years before. That was quite heartbreaking. Yeah, the I scene really in the car. That. I yeah. love the, I love the fact that he says, I'm not holding the bag open for you still, am I? Yeah. And it's just like, no, we're done. We're done. You can, you can go and transfer and not have to worry. Because Toshki knows he doesn't want, he, he kind of knows what this case will do to him and he doesn't want it to happen to his friend. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey, you know what? Maybe have a chance to try your Japanese food, the raw stuff. Um, and he's gone off. You know, Gray Smith. He he's having a better relationship with his family after he'd he'd done the case. And we'd also found out that Arthur Lee. You know, he died of a heart attack like a few days before the police were going to pick him up on the questioning of this guy's eyewitness. Coincidence? I don't know. I'm not one to judge. But for me, that's where the case kind of ends. You know, the, the Zodiac was dead. He'd had his time. He put his name out there. He'd got some publicity. And they got a film out of it. Yeah. I love the <laughs> fact that uh, when when uh, there's a point when uh, the, the, the Zodiac's letters, he, he definitely uh, starts reviewing films. <laughs> and he talks about The Exorcist being one of the best comedies of his time. <laughs> and uh, and he talks about them making a movie about him. Yeah. And um uh, and who's going to play me in the movie? And Fincher did something very deliberate here and 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 cast three to four different actors to play the Zodiac in this film. Of course, none of which you will see their faces of. No. So it was Fincher's way of giving a big you to the real Zodiac <laughs> yeah, yeah. by not having a famous actor play him in the film. Yeah, yeah, just just a bunch of shadows, mate. That's all yeah. you got with shadows. Uh, well, I mean, I, we could keep talking about this film, but uh, I think we should just uh, do some favourite scenes here. Yes, so we're already on them. I 
absolutely love this movie and I could say that the whole movie uh, was one big favourite scene. There are some scenes like Gary said that certain things don't work but I, I don't really remember what they are. Most scenes through the movie are just kind of building up the next thing, the next act like we said. Like like I, th I think one of the best uh, transition scenes has got to be the building being built. I did really like the, the, the audio, the black screen but for a second I thought my TV had broken. <laughs> <laughs> so Finch, you lose a point on confusing me. The building being built um, and time lapsed over time was just amazing. I loved the detective work between Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards, especially after the taxi driver sh uh, shooting. You know, they come along, they're questioning, they're wondering, you know, where he stopped, why he got to this point. You know, they're going through the case book. They, I like it. it the film subtly puts it in, but you do notice over time, especially when Dirty Harry is released, you know, how everybody is taking inspiration from Tosky for movies. You know, they mentioned about Steve McQueen and Bullet at one point. Oh, yeah, Steve McQueen stole the idea from it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dirty Harry is based on this guy. And so that's how good of a detective he is. I, I love the sequence, like I said, where he him and him and Paul Avery are arguing outside the sheriff's station. I wanted to watch fucking Avengers Assemble, that part where they've got the set there. I mean, that was just really, really good. Um, and yeah, my last favourite scene has got to be the cafe sequence between Mark Ruffalo, again, um, and, and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, where Jake Gyllenhaal just lays it all down on the table and just goes bang, bang. And it's Tosky's detective mind puts everything together he's still held back because it's circumstantial but if he had a hunch that would be the guy yeah yeah um i think uh, it's not my favorite scene i mean it kind of is as well um, but it's definitely the most memorable scene in the film for me and it's one of the things that my mind conjures up the moment i think of this film and that is the brutal brutal murder oh. of um cecilia yeah uh, Cece uh, Cecilia Shepard and uh, and Brian Hartnell um, when they're at the lake. Now the film depicts them as a couple, mm. and uh, and that was something Fincher again he did deliberately, despite the fact that the these two were not dating. Mm. They just knew each other and were just out for a picnic. Um, so like having her laying on top of him here. It, as an audience member, you're like clearly a couple, clearly dating, clearly in love, you know, all of those things. And it, and because the film paints that picture for you, it makes what happens to them feel a little bit more barbaric and cruel. Mm. Um, well, it was, which is, it was which barbaric is, and cruel. Well, anyway. I mean, it is, but it, it, it I don't know. There's just like an, a, a psychological thing that just makes it feel even worse that the fact that you know that these two are lovers, that what's going to happen to them. I don't know, just feel, I mean, it doesn't feel any worse, but it kind of does, if that makes it's, sense. I, I, it's kind I, of, I, I can't I get articulate what you're it. I get, yeah. I get what you're saying, like I said, from a, from it, a it, It's the fact that they're a couple, it looks like they have a future together, you know, whereas, you know, if they were just two people there, maybe it, you wouldn't have that audience reaction to them straight away. Mm, yeah. uh, but uh, I, I love the sequence and I hate it. I, I hate it because it is because it is so brutal and it literally makes me upset to watch it. Yeah. Um, and that is testament to the filmmaking and, and, and Fincher's ability to craft a horror sequence. You know, for me, this sequence is like the anti-scream movie. You know, it's the anti-slasher movie because yes. it is so brutal, realistic and documentary in its style. Uh, and at the same time, the thing that catches me off guard with this is how playful it is in terms of the dialogue, which is also because 
Uh, Brian Hartnell actually survived this. Mm. Um, like the conversations that they have where, you know, she he's like, I can help you. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm studying this and this. And she says what he's studying. Yeah. And then he corrects her because she's completely wrong. And again, also goes to show that they don't actually know each other that well. Yeah, yeah. But it's like that humor that's in there, you know, where he starts going, oh, I can write you a check. I'm going to be able to help you. Yeah. The sequence where he's got them tied up and then he's like, oh, before you go and, you know, walk away with my keys and my wallet, can you just prove to me that your gun was loaded? Because otherwise people are going to ask and I'm going to feel like a right idiot if you just took my keys and wallet with an empty gun. Yeah. He's like, yeah, there you go. You know, and, and you're just like, you know, the you know the, the the guy said he thought it was over. That's all it was going to be until he felt the knife yeah. going into his back six times. And then, you know, the killer, the Zodiac goes over to Cecilia and starts stabbing her. And it's so brief and so quick. Uh, the edit, that is, it's on screen for like three seconds. Her scream lingers, and though. A, it's the scream that lingers, which is, pro- in my opinion, one of the best screams in, in horror it, for a murder scene, it, it it hit the right decibel point, yeah. I think, to uh, to make your hair stand on end uh, to realize how how awful it is. Um, but it's it's the fact that that Brian looks at her for about three seconds before he looks away. You don't realize it's him. It's just the camera shots to her and then comes back. But when you find out in an interview, you know he kept looking down, thinking it was going to be over, and he just looked up to see that, and then he looked back down again because he couldn't couldn't keep looking. And the film language depicts that for you, and it's just when that when it fades to black and the scream fades, it's just like fucking stop the film. Yeah. Take a moment. Just <laughs> like God damn it, that's one of the most brutal killings I've ever seen in any film ever, and I love horror movies. It's God it's, damn it. It's not the same though. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's not the same. <laughs> it's because it it feels like reality in this yeah. film. That that that's how powerful it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite scene there will probably be the uh, the uh, the interrogation or the interview with Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah, when they've got him yes. in there when they're looking at his boots. Like the camera shows his boots. You see the police eye line looking at it, yes. looking at the watch and seeing the, the zodiac watch. symbol on it. You know, and 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 the way that Arthur Lee Allen kind of slows down the interview by by just his presence. The way that he's now thinking of his answers to try and make sure he doesn't get caught. Yeah, but uh, saying just the right information yes, that yeah. if they were to catch him, he can explain it away right away. But you yeah. can see the three cops are sat there going, "Nah, mate, we ain't buying yeah. this shit for fucking." <laughs> you know, if 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 they could have, they would have just gone blam blam blam, and they probably never got another letter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I also really like the scene. Um, with uh, with with Robert Grace uh, Robert Grace Smith and Paul Avery at the bar when Paul's questioning his drink choice, yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts to them at the bar and there's tons of those empty glasses there. I was like, eh, it's a nice little jokey cut there. Yeah. Again, it just brings some levity to the to the film, which is incredibly dark. Yes. Um, and of course, my worst shot in the film is that bridge shot. <laughs> I think it's absolutely hideous. But then on the contrary, another CGI shot that I do like is following the taxi. From the bird's eye view oh, as yes. it's going around the way it turns the corner. Yeah, it and it's me... such a perfect camera turn. I kept thinking GTA. Like, it it is GTA so meticulous, graphics. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Ian, do you recommend Zodiac? I absolutely do. Um, but warning, this is not a movie for the faint-hearted. You know, this I would say this is worse than Scream. Um, simply because it's based in reality. 
you know, the, the, the history, the research, the characters, the eyewitness reports, you know, the, 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 the feelings. Yes, the movie will pull you in certain directions of, of how you will feel. But you, you've got to remember, or for, for me, when you have these types of things, these true crime things, you have to remember to switch it off at the end of the day. Or, as with the characters in this movie, you will just become obsessed with the idea and trying to figure it all out. And at the end of the day, you 90% of the time, you never will. Fincher, for me, this is a guy who made Alien 3 and gets slandered for it all the time. And then he went on to make Seven and then he went on to make Zodiac. And if I put all three movies next to each other, not much has changed other than the killer. You know, the camera work still works, the, the shadowing, the, the, the script, the actors put in 110% of trying to give us everything that we are wanting. So that at the end of the film, you know, regardless of all the stuff that happened on set or how people feel, you, you turn a movie off and you go, wow, Fincher did it again. Hell yeah. That's why uh, Zodiac is going to be getting my top watch recommendation it's a masterful example of storytelling with a compelling narrative that's gripping from start to finish and is perfectly executed. The screenplay by James Vanderbilt was excellent in capturing all of the factual details of the case and in bringing these real characters to life along with some terrific performances from the leads. The dramatization felt real, incredible, very authentic feeling, and the actors really shined in this pessimistic and bleak story that doesn't have a happy ending or a real resolution. The film has a great pace despite a near three-hour runtime, a good mixture of action, crime, suspense and drama, with some stunning cinematography and almost film noir soundtrack mm. mixed with some excellent songs from the various decades set within the film. It's a dark and unsettling film. It will make you nervous about the reality of the story, you know, that it remained and still remains unsolved and ongoing. But if you love true crime stories and tales of obsession and self-destruction, and you want to have a look at one of the most infamous serial killer cases, this is a must-watch. Just remember, there's more than one way to lose your life to a serial killer. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews. 